0: Jonah was a man on the run from God's presence and God's plan. And maybe you have found yourself on that same trajectory. But the good news is, the children of God will never outrun the mercy of God. As we explore the Old Testament book of Jonah together, we will be reminded that salvation belongs to the Lord, and we will rejoice in the relentless mercy of God. This content is provided by Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.com One of the family traditions that uh, I share with my dad is fishing. And coming up he taught me to fish early, but I'll never forget the very first time I caught a fish while I was by myself, right? So every fish up till then I had caught while he was fishing alongside me. Uh, but we were at Holly River State Park, which is in West Webster County, West Virginia, and he had uh, kind of led me down into this section of the stream and then he had gone up the bank and on his way and as he did immediately that fish hit the line and i remember the excitement of um having that happen while i was by myself for the very first time reeling that fish in and i and i t- talked to my dad about this just to refresh my memory. And he said that the, that the memory that he has is me coming up. I hadn't even taken the the fish off the line with a fishing pole in one hand and the fish in the other coming up the bank. He hadn't even made it down the road yet. You know, screaming with joy that I'd, I'd caught a fish. That's not a fish story, by the way, not only is it true, but it's about way more than that fish. It was about you know, becoming more independent as I was growing. It is about a relationship with my dad, etc. There was way more to it than just that fish. It's not a fish story, it just happens to have a fish in it. It's the same with Jonah. Jonah is not a fish story. We're going to spend the next five weeks in the book of Jonah, the Old Testament book of Jonah. It's a short book, but it's a great one. And today we're going to overview it. And we're going to look at the first three verses of the book of Jonah. And what I pray that we see today and throughout this series is that the relentless mercy of God pursues the children of God even when they are going the wrong way. The relentless mercy of God pursues the children of God even when we're going the wrong way. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board To go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord, but the Lord. I want to overview this real quick, just kind of put it in context of where we are and and talk about just a few things before we dive into those verses. Just kind of set the, the baseline understanding of this book as we go through this five week series in the book of Jonah. The first thing I want us to, to cling to and, and uh, the first thing I want you to know about how um, I'm going to approach this passage as, it's, as we teach through it is that it is a literal biographical account of historical events. Jonah's is a real guy. Uh, we'll see that in a second. This isn't the only place he shows up in the Bible. So this could, you know, appear to be just some fanciful tale about some made up guy that just has a really good moral. But it's not. Jonah's a real life person. And also on top of that, there's not a single shred of indication that we're to read this as an allegory. There are places in the Bible where um, we are supposed to approach maybe poetry uh, with its hyperbole in ways that, that take it away from being literal. And the Bible presents itself that way in certain parts. It's obvious that it's not to be taken literally. But Jonah's not that way. Jonah is to be taken literally. There's not a single shred of evidence to suggest otherwise. It's not just some allegory or some story with a good meaning it's it's real uh it's a true biographical literal account of historical events. further it would appear that Jesus saw it as literal and historical. He talks about it that way uh, if you were to go to Matthew chapter twelve verses thirty nine through forty one you would read Jesus talking saying, But he answered them. Jesus is making a comparison. A comparison that will have to do with his resurrection, um, his greatness as uh, not just a prophet who's greater than Jonah, but as the actual Messiah. And if Jesus is going to speak of Jonah as if it's a, an actual real-life thing, then I think to be intellectually consistent and honest, we have to approach Jonah as a literal biographical account Of historical events. We're going to stand on the word of God here at Mercy Village Church, by the way, as the literal word of God. It is breathed out by God for the benefit of the children of God. And only the word of God itself will dictate when we take it as allegory or poetry or literal historical accounts of historical events. And that we're not saying something like we stand on the word of God for the sake of control or power because we're going to manipulate the word of God to mean what we want it to mean, but because we're going to put ourselves up underneath the word of God and it's going to, it's going to be what we submit to. Uh, For the sake of humility and truth, right, we put ourselves up under the word and we stand on it. That's true. Second, context, context. Context, right? So the first thing that we need to know about Jonah is that we're going to study it as a literal, biographical account of historical events. The second thing is the context. It matters. We'll open the Word of God to the book of Jonah, and we'll read it where it is, and we'll read it as it is. We're not going to bring our meaning to it. We're not going to bring our understanding of culture to it. We're not going to bring our understanding of, of uh, life to it. We're going to read it as it is where it is. And by God's design, by reading it that way, it's going to point us to Jesus. And we're going to see him time and time again. And thank God that that's the way Jonah works, that it points us to Jesus, because we desperately need him. And then, and only then, will we put it back down over top of our context, and it'll be relevant to our context. So after we see it as it is, and we read it as it is, and we look at it where it is, and it points us to Jesus, then we will place it back down over top of our context and see what it has to say to us today. And it'll be relevant. Trust me. Very, very relevant. We're going to see ourselves today in Jonah. Only three verses in, we're going to already see ourselves in the book of Jonah. Better news we're going to see the relentless mercy of God. The last thing I want to point out, and, and this one is, uh, at least to scholars, pretty obvious. Jonah is a highly respected piece of literature. Christians, non-Christians, people who think it's an allegory, people who think it's literal, all agree. This book is, a, is amazing as a piece of, of literature. Brian D. Estelle, a, a commentator, says, reading Jonah is like standing before a great mountain. Having trained hard and being well prepared for the climb, one might assume that a successful ascent, as well as descent, is assured. Such an attitude as every experienced mountain climber knows is foolhardy. And like great mountains, great books command respect. The poet William Blake said that great things happen when men and mountains meet. How much more so when people with the right orientation encounter great books. Might that be true for us this month as we dive into the book of Jonah, that as we encounter this great book, great things are done for us, uh, transformatively by the word of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's meet the main characters, the cast and the crew of this story. Jonah 1 and 2, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, The son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah is the first character that we meet. He's a prophet. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. He's going to both receive the word and be asked to proclaim the word. That's what a prophet is. They receive God's word and they share it with others. We also meet his daddy, a man named Amittai, which helps us find Jonah somewhere else. Right, if it just said Jonah and then we saw the name Jonah somewhere else in Scripture, we might be left wondering if this was the same Jonah. But because we have his father's name, we can trace him back to 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 27, where we read this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So we have a bad king, Jeroboam, it's Jeroboam, the second Jeroboam, Jeroboam the second, And he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the first one. So he lives up to his name. He, he uh, actually uh, continues to worship false gods and lead the people of God in that same direction, uh, which he made Israel to sin. But look what happens. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath, as far as the sea of Araba, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Geth-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So now we're narrowing in on a date as well. Uh, for when Jonah lived. Jeroboam the second reigned from 786 to 746 B.C. Jonah might have spoken to him directly with this prophecy, or he may have spoken it in years preceding and now, as Jeroboam is actually seeing the prophecy fulfilled through him, uh, people are recognizing that's exactly what Jonah said would happen Hebrew legend by the way, and it's just legend uh, not not in the, it's not in the bible it's it's not uh, known with one hundred percent certain to be certainty to be true but Hebrew legend says that Jonah was a disciple of Elisha, the second of those two great prophets, Elijah and then Elisha. We can't be much more exact than that, but the events of Jonah likely happened in the 8th century BC. And the date matters. It matters a lot, as we will see when we start talking about Nineveh. That's the next character that we meet in this cast of characters and in, in these first few verses of Jonah. Nineveh was located to the northwest of Israel in Assyria, and it was a military town, the military capital, in fact, of, of Assyria. Now this matters deeply because it helps us understand how Jonah would have felt about Nineveh, how the people of Israel would have felt about Nineveh. Because in the ninth century BC, during the reign of Jehu, another king of, of Israel, Assyria exacted, exacted tribute from the northern kingdom of Israel. They came in, right, and they put them under their thumb. And they said, if you don't want us to destroy you, then you will pay tribute to us. And they agreed to do it. So already in the ninth century, there's this, there's this relationship with, uh, with Assyria that is one of, um, even disgust and disdain because they're, they are in exacting power, um, not in a good way, but in a very enslaving way against the people of Israel. And by 722 BC, which will be not long after Jonah's ministry, Israel will uh, be conquered completely by Assyria. The events of Jonah likely took place between these two events, right? While they're under the thumb of Assyria, not yet destroyed by them, but controlled by them, uh, being uh, uh, forced uh, into a sort of a slavery even to them, always in fear of them, having to pay tribute to them, being taxed by them, uh, having their economy just absolutely destroyed by them. And, and I'm sure at the borders, when when uh, w- which actually we read in the Bible, they would come over and just do little attacks to let them know, the people of Israel know that they meant business. And so there would have been this tense hatred towards Assyria in the days of Jonah. It's incredibly likely that the very mention of the Assyrians would have stirred up deeply, deeply negative emotions for all of the people of Israel, including Jonah. Which brings us to the final primary character of this story. The very primary character. And the primary character is is Yahweh. And here's the primary thing you need to know about God. He's a God of mercy, right? The prophecy that Jonah made to Jeroboam 2 was one of mercy, that even with an evil king in charge, the borders of Israel would be restored. That's mercy. Jonah would have also known the Torah well. He would have seen in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, mercy for Adam and Eve mercy for Noah, mercy for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, mercy for Moses and for the people of God. He would have read that we follow God. Yahweh is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He knows those words, by the way. He'll actually use them in this book. And maybe even more important, Jonah would have known that God's mercy for people like Rahab was a thing, Rahab being a foreigner. He would have read of that. And if he had, in fact, been mentored by Elijah, he would have most certainly known about Naaman, the Syrian, and the mercy of God shown to him. He would have known of Yahweh as a God whose plan was to save for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. A God whose family will be as diverse and as large uh, as was promised to Abraham, that through Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so when you put that all together, you have a prophet acquainted with the deep compassion and mercy and love of God called to go to a people he likely hated with a passion to proclaim repentance. And Jonah's likely conclusion would have been that the most possible scenario was mercy for Nineveh. And he didn't want that. He hated the Ninevites he hated that city. There were probably people living in that city who had drawn swords against his countrymen, maybe even his family, who had come with violence to exact uh, taxes from him, who had, who had put all of his people under their control in this military capital of this country of Assyria that would torment and terrorize and eventually destroy Israel. And the word comes to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Everyone stop for just a second. I want you to, to think about somebody you can't stand, right? Somebody who has hurt you so bad. Maybe it's an obnoxious coworker who has said things that sting you deeply and, and done things behind your back that have that have left you wounded and stolen your trust and you just can't stand and maybe it's that neighbor who So he went. To Jonah and he told him, go to Nineveh. God has a global mission and it includes people you don't like. God has a global mission and it includes people that Jonah didn't like and we have been commissioned Mark 16:15 go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation that's everybody. Proclaim the gospel that everyone, even the ones you don't like, even when it's not easy. But this is where the story gets interesting. God says go, and Jonah, Jonah says no. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go up with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Well, that escalated fast, right? Jonah runs and he doesn't stop until he's outside of the area of Hebrew control in a port town called Joppa where his money follows his depraved heart as he pays the fare to board a ship to anywhere but Nineveh, please. God said go, Jonah said no. God said go eastward, Jonah goes westward. God said rise, and Jonah went down, down, down to Joppa, down into the ship. David in the Psalms in, the, in, the, in the presence, it says, In the presence of God are pleasures forevermore. Jonah would have read those words. But Jonah flees from that very place. He knows that the promise is that in the presence of God are pleasures forevermore. He doesn't believe that promise. And he flees from that place. It's mentioned twice in verse 3, him going away from the presence of the Lord. But wait, Jonah knew that God's omnipresent, right? I mean, he, he'd read, uh, if he knew that in the right hand of, of God are pleasures forevermore, then he also would have, would have possibly known Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, God, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, God, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, you are there and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day for darkness is as light to you. What does he mean that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord? He, he can't get away from the omnipresent presence of the Lord. Perhaps, though, he was trying to flee from the felt presence of the Lord. Thinking that if I get away from the people of God and the sights and sounds that remind me most of God, then I can get the voice of God out of my head and I can get the influence of God out of my life. And so he flees. He flees the people of God and the dwelling place of God amongst his people. God says, go. And Jonah says, no. And we're just like him. Don't miss that, right? It's easy to be critical of Jonah. But, but in this narrative, this book, we are Jonah. I know that almost every time I sit down to read the Bible or I sit under the teaching of the Bible, I hear God say, Go. Go share the gospel with Mike. Go share the gospel with this neighbor. Go share the gospel. Go tell these people. Go lead your family. Go love your wife. Arise, Paul Bokel. Go. Arise, Christian. Go. Arise, Mercy Village Church. Go. And oftentimes, not always, but way, way more than I should, way, way more than we should, we say no. God says go. and We say no. God says, my ways are higher than your ways. And we say, man. God says, "In the, my presence is the fullness of joy. And we say, I don't know. Well, I'm not sure. See, we're a lot like Jonah. God told Jonah to go proclaim his message in Nineveh. And God tells us to take the gospel to the people in our lives and to the ends of the earth. And what are we going to do? Jonah, me. You. We're fools sometimes. We make the wrong choice. We don't follow after God. We don't do the right thing. We flee from the one place where there is joy and happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction forevermore, and we go our own direction away from the presence of the Lord, away from what God has called us to. That, that's foolish. But we act that way way more than we should. Good news, though. The first three words of verse four, but the Lord. Those three words change everything, by the way. This is the relentless mercy of God, by the way. And we're going to see it in the coming weeks, by the way, that these three words change everything, but the Lord. For today, hear the words of Ephesians chapter two, verses four through eight. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were fleeing from his presence, even when we had thumbed our nose at him, even when we had chosen our own way over his way, made us alive together. With Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God that'll preach. This is the message of Jonah. This is the message of the Bible. This is the message of Christianity, that God is relentless in his mercy, and he puts forth Jesus. So that he can bring us into right relationship with himself, even though we're going in the opposite direction. We, like Jonah, are hardwired to desire peace and joy and satisfaction. We want those things. And God says, you will only find those things in me. And we run the other way. We run after our own plans. We run after our own desires. We run after our own wants. We run after our own dreams. We, just like Jonah, stop our ears. We buy our tickets to anywhere but Nineveh, please. Did 2020 reveal any idols in you, by the way? This past year of, of pandemics and politics and, and uh, riots and, and all that happened in 2020, along with whatever personal things you experience, the things that you cling to for comfort and peace instead of Jesus were so uh, revealed in my life in 2020 because I couldn't get them as easily. in what it took away from me, my idolatry was the control, the peace, the stability that was stolen by 2020 and what it brought. I've never spent more time on my phone for good or bad. I've certainly wasted more time trying to numb out the craziness of what was 2020 and I don't think I'm the only one. You see, we chase after things outside of God for joy and peace and satisfaction, just like Jonah. We flee from the presence of the Lord to find what only the Lord can give us. And 2020 revealed that in my heart and and maybe it did in yours as well. Ephesians 2 says we trend towards following after the course of this world. The me firstness, the mine, I gotta get what I want. And 2020 brought that to light for me like never before my ways can't satisfy but yet I run towards them anyway but God while we were still sinners, died for us. Jesus, the perfect son of God, who knew no sin, would take on himself the wrath of God against the sin of all God's children. And he would bear up under that weight, drinking all the wrath of God on behalf of the children of God so that that wrath would never touch us so that we get, instead of wrath and punishment and separation from God and hell, we get mercy and grace and love. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And he didn't stay dead, but was raised to life three days later. And he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You're like working for satisfaction and peace and joy and hope. And you're fleeing from my presence. Wrong direction. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly and hard and you will find rest for your souls. So even when we run, our God runs after us in his relentless mercy. The relentless mercy of God pursues the children of God, even when we're going the wrong way. If you're not a Christian, trust Jesus today. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All you have to do is believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that it was enough to make you right with God and you will be saved. You'll become a part of God's family. That mercy, that relentless mercy of God can belong to you today. Child of God, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Stop running. Stop running from God. First things first, commitment. This is something that we have decided to do as a church in the year of 2021. That we will start every day with scripture and prayer before anything else. Even if it's only 90 seconds of, of, of memorizing a scripture verse and, and praying a prayer. But we're going to do that. It's about not running, but instead it's about resting and waiting and living in the presence of God. And so that's the commitment we're making as a, as a core team. That we are going to start there in the presence of God every single day before we reach for our phones, before we talk to Alexa, before we get after anything else. We're going to intentionally rest in the presence of God. Second, go. Going is, is going with God, right? Like, like going is going in the presence of God. You're, we are with God when we are going in the direction He has called us to go. What's God calling you to? Like, where is it that He's calling you? Probably not Nineveh, but is He calling you to share the gospel with a specific person? To give something up and be more present with your family? To mentor this, a certain person, to volunteer in a certain way, maybe even to join the core team and plant, and plant of Mercy Village Church. What is God calling you to? If He's calling you to it, then to, to answer that call is to be in the presence of God. He's not gonna call you to go somewhere and not go with you. He's gonna call you to go somewhere and go with you. Stop running. Spend time resting in the presence of God through this first things first commitment. And when God calls, go, go, do, go where he calls you to go. The relentless mercy of God pursues the children of God even when we're going the wrong way because God longs for you to walk with him now and for all eternity. Father, thank you so much that, that you... And your great love, although we don't deserve it, call us to walk alongside you to the places where you're going. You were going to Nineveh. You were going. We'll see that in this book. You're going to Nineveh. And you called Jonah to go with you. He said, no, but but you're going to get after him because of your mercy. And maybe you're going places. You're, I, I know you're going uh into Barbersville right now and then that's what we want. We want to go with you. That's why we're planting Mercy Village Church. Because <laughs> we want to go with you. Each of us individually. I pray that we will hear clearly what you're calling us to in the little things and in the big things of life and we will respond, not like Jonah, fleeing from your presence, But like Jesus, walking with you where you call us to go, no matter what the cost is, because in your presence is the fullness of joy forevermore. And even when we turn and flee, in your relentless mercy, chase after us and bring us back into your presence by your good grace. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.